Welcome to Sam and Dan and Short Circuit from AcneScience.com. Hello and welcome to Sam and Dan and Short Circuit. Oh yeah, there we go. I was just I was just about to ask you uh, what the extra and was here this week. It's and short circuit. Oh well, well that's good. The voice you are hearing is uh, Dan Sai, and I am of course the Godfather of mathematical podcasting, Samuel Hansen. Wow. Okay. <laughs> well, you don't like that self introduction. No, yeah, hey, whatever you, whatever floats your boat. <laughs> <laughs> it's been a tough weekend, Dan. It's been a tough yeah. weekend. Sure. And, and so, as, as you mentioned, the movie that we are talking about this month is Short Circuit. So, Dan, would you uh, please give me your opinion on the movie Short Circuit? Um, well, as, as we all know, Short Circuit is a... Uh, sci-fi comedy movie from 1986 about a uh, robot that gets hit by lightning, gains intelligence uh, or sentience, and goes on wacky adventures. Uh, <laughs> starring stars Steve Gutenberg as a uh, as a as a young promising scientist, and Ali Sheedy from The Breakfast Club. <laughs> And what I, 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 I was not asking for a synopsis, but oh, uh, I will thank you for that. What was your opinion of the quality of the film? Oh, it was terrible. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, I, I had seen this movie as a, as a child, and I, I liked it because it's, it's made for children. Upon rewatching it for, for this podcast, none of that nostalgia kind of came with it, and uh, I, I did not like this movie. Uh, there were certain things in the movie that I really liked. But as a whole, the uh, story or plot in this movie was just downright terrible. I, I will agree. It is, it is no buckaroo bonsai. Mm -hmm. But I, I did not actually see the entirety of this movie as a child. I think I saw the first 20 minutes in school once. I, I don't remember ever having watched the entirety of this movie until about two weeks ago. Mm -hmm. And I don't hate it nearly as much as Dan. I'm not denying that I hate it. Okay. Maybe hate's a strong word. This movie is infuriating. <laughs> is that really a weaker word? Yeah, I don't know. That's just how I feel. It made just watching this movie, I was frustrated through most of it. Which is how just bad it was. <laughs> I was just so frustrated. And, like, they had... The, the robot in this movie, uh, number five, is really cool. The, like, actual one that they built, the animatronic thing that they built for the movie, is great. Oh, it's awesome. Totally, totally awesome. Its potential is just squandered. <laughs> it does, like, a, a couple cool things but it usually just like falls off of stuff. <laughs> I have to say that the opinion that you are expressing is exactly that of Roger Ebert when he first reviewed this back in 1986. 
Hey, Mr. Hansen. Uh, how many stars did Roger Ebert give this movie? One and a half. <laughs> Sounds about right. Crosby, he is hiding in the toilet, sir. Public relations is everybody's job. Well, he is saying that the crowds, they are making him dog sick, sir. Look, he's supposed to be here. I want him here. I pay him to be here. Well, the last time I am seeing him, he is busy vomiting, sir. Well, clean him up and send him out to Hobnob. So, Samuel, uh, there are three important characters in this movie. I, I'm going to say that we both agree the most important is Dr. Newton Crosby, played by Mr. Steve Gutenberg. Uh, I don't agree with you, actually. I think we both agree that that's true. <laughs> no, no, we don't, Dan. Okay. Can convince me why I should agree with you. Well, I think it's 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 very ambitious for a movie to make us believe that Steve Gutenberg can create an advanced artificial intelligence. I think that it's actually very ambitious for a movie to try to convince us that Steve Gutenberg can drive a car. <laughs> Which he does in this movie. Very poorly. Successfully. Very poorly. Doctor, how many kids you got? No. Well, let me tell you something, Doctor. I got three of them. Three dandy little scroters, and I want them to be adults, not barbecue. So don't you give me any of your bullshit. <laughs> it, it's 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 terrible. Um, why is Steve Gutenberg uh, a scientist in this movie? It makes absolutely no sense. It should have been Jeff Goldblum. <laughs> Probably should have been Jeff Goldblum, although I could see him not wanting to be associated with this movie. <laughs> I honestly don't think Jeff Goldblum actually pays much attention to the scripts he gets given. That's true. <laughs> Considering he was on the worst Law and Order. <laughs> uh, uh, oh, Steve Gutenberg. We're talking about Steve Gutenberg. Okay, so Steve Gutenberg here. Can we here... stop and talk about Jeff Goldblum <laughs> instead? I'd much rather do <laughs> I wish we could, but that is not on the script for today's episode. Uh, so welcome to Sam and Dan and Earth Girls Are Easy. <laughs> Here we are talking about Jeff Goldblum. Sam and Dan and The Fly. Yeah. Uh, coming in 2012. <laughs> it's very strange that they take the the star of Cocoon and uh, was Police Academy a thing at this point? Yeah, yes, it was. And police academy and make him, you know, a scientist. Because why? Why? You know, it could be one thing if he was actually like, a, you know, a decent actor. It maybe could, could be a scientist, but he's not. Come on. He was so awesome in that one episode of Party Down. Sure. <laughs> okay. I take it back. The episode of Party Down, which came out... Uh, <laughs> Nearly 30 years after this movie, and in which he played an exaggerated version of himself, really was a basis for him being in this movie. <laughs> You've convinced me. It's justified. Just that you're the one who's trying to convince me. <laughs> right. You, you shot yourself in the foot there, Hanson. Oh, so, so Steve Gutenberg is playing this character, Newton Crosby. Who I can only assume is named after my least favorite mathematician of all time, Isaac Newton, and future captain of the Pittsburgh Penguins, Sidney Crosby. He's, isn't he the captain? He is. Yeah, I, well, I said future captain because I don't think that Sidney Crosby was born when this movie was made. 
<laughs> he was not born. He is a baby. <laughs> he's a baby now, so of course he wasn't born back then. Okay, so so he's named after those two very important people. It, it just it, it caused me all sorts of, of issues whenever anyone says his name because I hate Isaac Newton so much. But he's a robot designer. He he designs robots with his best friend mm-hmm. Ben Jabatuya. Newton, come on, hurry up, they're waiting for you. Newton Crosby, you must make instantaneous appearance. Marner says that you have to go hobnob with the big wigs. <laughs> Is that the yes or the number of your intelligence quotient? Hmm? Yeah, played by Fisher C- Stevens. The plague. Yeah. From hackers. Sure. <laughs> I am incredibly excited about him. Yeah, I know you are. Um, unfortunately, in this movie, he plays a, an extremely racist. Um, <laughs> stereotype Indian person from well wait 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 a second is it in the movie doesn't he say he's from like Indiana or something no no I I have I have this written down okay he is from Bakersfield (laughs) Bakersfield gotcha and his parent and his ancestors are from Pittsburgh (laughs) okay well that makes perfect sense that would uh that would explain his terrible accent (laughs) how he doesn't understand any kind of uh, Western phrases. Let's punch the sack. Yes. Does he say something about having a boner at one point? <laughs> oh my goodness, I am sporting a tremendous woody right now. Uh, and I believe that the audience just heard that thing from the movie because it is hilarious. <laughs> and it, it's woody, not boner. <laughs> Pardon. <laughs> Clearly, the more entertaining. I mean, as the, the you know the the funny sidekicks usually are, but um, damn, both of them were just. I know you really liked you really liked this character uh, by Fisher, uh, the assistant character there. Yeah, uh, well, I mean, I I liked it. I think because it was the only thing that was mildly clever were all the rewrites of American slang. I'm not saying that they weren't racist. I'm just saying that some of them were clever. Because they were. My God, they were. Uh, but yeah, no, I could see. You needed to latch onto something to get you through this movie. Um, it might as well be, be that. Okay, and, and so we, we should talk a little bit more about Newton Crosby. Now, Newton Crosby is, is, of course, as I already said, a robot designer. But he's also very unhappy at his job, Nova Robotics. Yeah, and this is kind of like a uh, defense contractor. They, they they build robots for the military and to be butlers and make gin and tonics. Glass. Eyes. Gin. Tonic. A squeeze of lime. Your cocktail, Dr. Mariner. Thank you, number two. Yeah, so he's he's a he's a yeah robotics designer. He 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 builds these five kind of military robots. They're called. I want you to meet strategic, artificially intelligent nuclear transport, or Saint as we call it. Which is a stupid name. <laughs> yes. It's incredibly stupid. And the, uh, the fifth robot gets uh, struck by lightning and gains intelligence. And this will be this would be number five. Uh, Steve Gutenberg 
Uh, he just he just does not believe it. He he, he feels this is impossible uh, based on his, you know, he he created these robots. He, he should know if Be- they're alive. Because or not. it is. It, it is impossible. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and he said he's also apparently the world's most amazing robotic designer. In in the beginning, you see a robot hand that he has gotten the ability or has somehow programmed with the ability to play the piano. Yep, and give the middle finger. Yep, give the middle finger after like hitting one button. I mean, he's he's really good at his job, except he's very upset because he does not like the idea of his robots being used for war. Yeah, and we should note that these robots are are outfitted with extremely powerful death lasers. <laughs> These are the kind of lasers that Dr. Evil would have put on sharks in the also terrible Austin Powers franchise. Have you seen the Death Star? <laughs> We're talking that kind of laser. Uh, no, no, no. Do not impugn the power of the Star Wars Death Star laser with this movie. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so this is extremely powerful lasers. These things are death machines. The movie opens with kind of a demo of these uh, robots just like blowing apart trucks and tanks. Uh, tanks and all sorts of things. And it was a uh, demo for, for the top brass of the military. Enemy neutralized, ladies and gentlemen. Objective completed. And, and yeah, he's, he's not happy. He gets put down a lot by his, uh, by his superior who wants him to just stay inside and, and work at the console. Doesn't want him to get involved in anything. Very unhappy at his job. It's actually kind of sad. Yeah, I I I felt pretty bad for this character in the beginning, mm-hmm. until about twenty minutes into the movie when you really stop feeling bad for any of the characters. True. And you start feeling really bad for yourself. <laughs> yeah, because you're watching this movie. <laughs> no, who picked this? You did. Ah, oh, it's the worst. <laughs> Yeah, that's about the time when I started drinking. <laughs> uh, I watched this on a Friday night, and um, yeah, that's where it went. Well, the cat is dragged in a sight for four eyes, that is for sure. So, one of the other main characters, as a matter of fact, the other main human character in this movie is Stephanie Speck, mm-hmm. who is played by War Games' Ali Sheedy. Famous member of the Brat Pack. And so she... This character is better than Newton Crosby. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Okay. She's better than Steve Gutenberg's character, Newton Crosby. Yeah. True. She's a little perplexing. Uh, So main things that you might need to know about this character. Cannot refuse an animal unless it is a cobra. I'm sorry, I'm, but I just, I have to draw the line at snakes. Yeah, I'm sure it would make a wonderful pet, but wait, isn't there a home for cobras somewhere? Yes, she is an animal lover. Uh, an animal fetishist, I would say. She's a furry. <laughs> uh, because in her house, in this movie, she has rabbits, ferrets, raccoons, skunks, cats, dogs, sheep, donkey. Geese, various other birds. Am I missing other things? Well, that seems that seems you've covered it. And 
you would think, oh, well, she works at an animal hospital, or she's a vet, or she works at a rescue shelter. She, uh, she drives a food truck. By the way, I'm pretty sure that that was Oregon's first food truck and perhaps started the entire Portland food truck thing. Yeah, I mean, if we're talking a legacy for this movie, it's food trucks. Yeah, it's, it, it was uh, Stephanie's Snack Shack by Stephanie Speck. Very alliterative. Yeah, yeah, you know, they're very, there's big creative mind behind this movie. <laughs> and she also, in the movie, we're introduced to an ex-boyfriend of hers. <laughs> Who is mullet-tastic. His name was Frank, if I remember correctly. I don't know. He drove a Trans Am. He drove a Trans Am. And he was a total dick. <laughs> as ex-boyfriends tend to be in movies. It, yeah, but this this one went a bit beyond that. The first time we actually see Stephanie and Frank, well, first time we see Stephanie even, she's running up to her house because Frank is trying to steal her three-legged dog to sell to Quinn's Animal Research. He's kind of an asshole. Also, what? <laughs> Why? Why what? I don't understand anything wrong with that. So he needs money. Is kind of like the gist of like he's an he's a he's an asshole ex boyfriend who needs money. For what reason we have no idea. We they didn't delve deep into the into the backstory of Frank. He does not have a last name in this film. <laughs> he um, God, I don't even know why are we talk about Frank. <laughs> <laughs> so. It, it, the robot number five, who we have mentioned and who we will definitely delve much deeper into, shows up in the food truck. Yeah, he uh, he crashes through, or he falls off of a bridge and crashes through the roof of her food truck. No, no lands gently on top of it and then at night breaks into it. <laughs> oh, excuse me. He does break into her food truck. And she discovers him and, and thinks he is an alien. Oh my god, I knew they'd pick me. I just knew it. And of course, because she is completely incapable of not helping some creature in need, she immediately takes this alien into her house. She does. And this is um, number five... He didn't know a lot at this point, had just broken out of Nova Laboratories, and he, he demanded input. He wanted things to learn, books, television. He was just reading labels on everything just to gain more knowledge. Malfunction. Need input. It was then discovered that number five was not, in fact, an alien. He was, uh, it was a robot from, from this laboratory. And since it's not a living thing, Ali Sheedy's character decides, uh, I'll just send it back. I don't care. Yeah, yeah. She was all for it being an alien, but as soon as it was a sentient robot... Well, she did not know it was sentient yet. Uh Uh-huh. That comes later on. Uh, So, Ali Sheedy's character is is very odd. It kind of... I don't I don't know how to describe it. But she is she is very trusting even with an immense amount of evidence that she should not trust things. 
Yeah, I mean, if a crazy robot showed up at your house, would would you take it in? Yeah. Would you dance with it in your living room? <laughs> uh, if it asked me politely. I was actually referring more to her trust of the Newton Crosby character, even though he is clearly a screw-up and completely incapable of keeping his word. Einstein! I plan to. And it's Crosby, Newton Crosby. Stephanie Speck! Nice meeting you. Same here. Listen, if you've ever stared into those Steve Gutenberg <laughs> baby blue eyes, I don't know if he has blue eyes, <laughs> then you'd understand it's easy to trust him. Uh, sure. Why not? I, the only reason she trusts him is because the plot needed to move forward. <laughs> and that was the easiest way to do it. Fair enough. Um, it, it's, it, it, she is very affectionate and, 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 uh, it, it borders on completely creepy. And she... She's really into this robot. Like, maybe gonna make out with it into it. Malfunction. Oh, you can talk. Malfunction. Need input. Input. That's information. Listen, I am full of it. Why don't you come on in my house and we can sit down and talk, um, get to know each other, communicate, input. And finally, the... Uh, last main character of this movie, number five, the robot. Yeah, the one fun and interesting thing about this entire Travis Steven movie. You know, I'm actually starting to hate it more the more that we're talking about it. My work here is done. Well, except, except you still have to talk about number five. Oh, shit. <laughs> that was under the impression I could just say my work here is done and just end whatever I'm doing. <laughs> nope, doesn't actually work that way. Um, yeah, so number five was the fifth in the line of military robots created by Nova Laboratories, as we've previously mentioned. And he was outside hooked up to a some sort of charging station that was struck by lightning, which gave him sentience. Hey, Norman, you better get number five off that generator, man. Okay, okay, I'll get to it. Yep, that's about it. <laughs> and that is what he is. He, uh, yeah, then he proceeded to kind of randomly <laughs> escape. Yeah, he did not know what he was doing. No, he kind of got pushed onto a truck by, like, a garbage robot. <laughs> also, Nova Robotics has garbage robots. And the, uh, and bartender robots. Yeah. And waiter robots. Yeah, uh, it's it kind of playing like the role of R2-D2 in Jabba's Desert Skiff. Yes, just like that. Uh, except they talk, and it's really weird. <laughs> <laughs> but 
But yeah, so he escapes. He ends up finding Ali Sheedy, and that's where he kind of starts to learn what the world is. He kind of gains a sense of self. Not unlike the uh, in Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, when a whale is mysteriously appears above the planet's surface, <laughs> and he kind of makes peace with the world and deter- like, tries to figure out what his place in that world is before he dies. <laughs> it's kind of like an extended version of that. Yeah, yeah. The entire the entire the entire movie is about uh, number five learning about the world and growing as a human. And, and he's only been alive for, you know, a couple of days. So he's still an infant. He means it's a beautiful view of the stars. I think he speaks very well for a four-day-old. Yeah, it was an important couple of days, though. He, uh, he learned what death was pretty quickly. Yeah. Uh, he uh, crushed a grasshopper. And he ordered Ali Sheedy to reassemble it. Reassemble, Stephanie. Reassemble. But yeah, yeah I mean, the, the entire movie hinges on that discovery of what death is or as number five calls it disassembling which is interesting because he reads a shit ton of books and you'd think he would have found the word death in there somewhere yes but i i would say that uh, he's a robot he's a machine he's used to things being able to be taken offline and being able to put back online so from a philosophical argument i would argue that the robot just thought that death was very much like being powered off. You could be powered back on. I know you don't understand, but when you're dead, you're dead. That's just the way it is. Dead is forever. Squash. Dead. Disassemble. Dead. Disassemble. Dead! Sure. Wouldn't you think that as he like learned more about the world and what it's like to be human and be a living thing, he would have adapted to that? Yeah, he was like two years old or two days old, sorry, only had inter- had actual interactions with one human at that point. But he's a super intelligent death laser robot. <laughs> okay, so other things this robot has. He has the infamous death laser. Sure. He has a key that will start or unlock any car slash door in the world. Yeah, he's got a sonic screwdriver. Except his sonic screwdriver kind of looks like the barrel of a Gatling gun. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, and it has a bunch of tools, such as a you know the key that opens everything, as well as a soldering iron. He he has. His main main locomotion is two treads on um, two like tank treads with like a little pivoting wheel in the back, which allow him to uh, jump apparently. Well, because because the tread the things that the treads are on have a second axis with a lever that allows them to lift the back end off the ground, going up to the front. And if you do that with hard enough force, clearly that will cause upward movement. Hey, hey, come on, Dan, that's simple physics. It has to have a massive motor in there to accomplish it, but it's simple physics. A massive, really tiny motor. Yeah. And he, he, he watches a lot of movies when he's with Ali Sheedy, and he can uh, do things like flip a coin, 
do these very like precise, precise uh, things with his robot hands. Yeah, he can do an insane amount of precise things with his robot hands. Like, these are the hands that robot designers have always wanted to have so that they can build a better robot. Th these hands can drive a car. These hands can grasp things softly. They can grasp things hard. They can lift. They can pull. They can do everything. They can disassemble a Trans Am in under a minute. You almost would think that there's some sort of human hand operating this robot hand. Well, funny you should mention it, but number five, not actually portrayed by a real robot, Dan. <gasps> no. Yeah, it wasn't. Well, that's disappointing. I, I looked up how they had done it, and I seem to have lost that information. Wasn't there some sort of, like, suit motion suit that someone would wear? And Yes, yes, that's right. Uh, yeah, someone would have a motion suit on, and when they lifted their arm, the robot would lift its arm. Mm -hmm. Oh, and also the other scenes were probably done by s turning the camera off. Slowly closing number five's hands around things and then starting the camera again. Sure. Yeah, movie magic. Oh, oh, oh yeah, that's right. This is a movie. I thought it was a documentary for a long period of time. No. Um, the worst documentary ever. <laughs> yeah, no, that would be. Especially <laughs> when you'd be confused. Like, why is Steve Guggenberg a scientist? I don't understand. The, most of the budget of this movie was spent on building these robots. And they had to build quite a few of them because they kept on making number five fall off of high things. Yeah, I mean, you have to think about it. They had to make at least five because because five appeared all all at the same time. But then they just they, they would just make him fall off shit all the time. They had to have broken these robots <laughs> so many times. Yeah, like running away from a dog. He did run away from a dog, that's right. So, as I mentioned before, it all hinges on, on this kind of understanding of what death is, and then later on even realizing that causing death or pain for another living creature is also wrong. One of them comes near you, you blast him, just burn his butt with your laser. Right? Yeah. No. No disassemble. And I'm, I'm, sure, I'm sure that uh, essentially being raised by Ali Sheedy's PETA isn't even good enough for me character. Uh, probably had some sort of effects on it, but it really kind of made me think, like, it doesn't seem that number five is a pacifist because he will fight in order to protect either himself or the friends or his friends, but he will not cause any lasting harm. No, it seems like he just kind of inadvertently fell upon Isaac Asimov's rules of the robot I, I was actually going to mention that. It, it's, it's like he self-developed the three laws of robotics. Uh, those three laws being, uh, number one, a robot may not injure a human being or through an action allow a human being to come to harm. Number two, a robot must obey any orders given to it by human beings, except where that conflicts with the first law. And the third law is a robot must protect its own existence as long as such protection does not conflict with the first or second laws. Now, he seems to have found the first one and the third one and reversed their order. Sure. The robot must uh, protect its own existence and, secondly, must not injure humans unless it's to protect its own existence. 
Oh my goodness gracious! He can't shoot us with that laser, can he? I am not knowing. Would he kill me if I stopped? Who is to say? Will he kill me if I don't stop? Again, I am shrugging. I'm stopping. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and it's interesting because, you know, he was programmed as a military robot. As a death machine. Yeah, his his initial programming is you have this crazy big laser on your back and you are going to blow shit up with it. Oh, not not just that. You have a crazy big laser on your back and we're going to use you to transport 20 megaton nuclear bombs into the heart of Moscow. Please take it to me. Putting on a tie. He's going to tell you about these peacetime uses. He's got plenty of peacetime uses. You mean besides serving gin and tonic? <laughs> the only way to secure the peace, Senator, as I'm sure you know, is to be prepared. See, we can parachute these robot guys behind enemy lines. They hide out till the first strike blows over. Then each one of these little boogers carries a 25 megaton bomb right up the middle of Main Street, Moscow, like the mailman bringing bad news. We call it Operation Gotcha Last. Yeah, he's a death machine. And just being with Ali Sheedy apparently uh, changes changes him. Uh, as, as soon as he found out what death was. Yeah. So so let's let's now talk a little bit uh, more about uh, Stephanie Speck's relationship with number five. One word, creepy. Super duper creepy. I'm giving you great input. More input, more input. So creepy. So clearly she thinks this is some sort of intelligent alien and wants to be the first person to bone an alien. And you know what? I'm okay with that because what nerd doesn't kind of want that story? It's kind of like, it's pretty much Captain Kirk. Yeah. We're at a new planet. Let me bone, let me bone the, the hot alien lady. Yeah, of course. And, and even though I'm not even a Star Trek fan, I thoroughly applaud him for that. Sure. It's very noble and ambitious. <laughs> I want to fuck more aliens than anyone else. Um, you gotta have goals. Yeah, and, and and then when she finds out that it is uh, a robot, she mm-hmm. gets all pissed and tries to sell it back, but then she figures out that it's alive. I mean, he is really alive, like you and me. See? Mm-hmm. I understand. They can seem quite lifelike, but they are still machines. Just like your stereo or your vacuum cleaner. No, I know he's a machine. You're a machine, I'm a machine, we're alive. How it happens, who the hell knows, but it has happened. Yeah, it, yeah, it, it, is, it is alive. And she, she uh, takes it in again. Well, I mean, even, even before that, like she is, she is standing in front of it trying to make it not get shot. She's like uh-huh. hugging it and stuff. This is a very touching, a lot of touching between this human and this robot. Like the robot puts like puts its arm around her uh, before she finds out that it's a robot, and she's totally digging it. Yeah, she's totally into it. Uh, th- there is one scene when number five returns to her house and she's in the bathtub, <laughs> and he uh, hits on her. Okay, so the the she's in the bathtub and she hears she hears a noise. And she thinks it's her her ex-boyfriend, Frank. The door opens, and it's clearly number five behind a piece of shrubbery. (laughs) He's camouflaging himself. But she doesn't react at this point. She's like, what's this? Number five removes the shrubbery, (laughs) 
It's number five. He's returned, and she's very excited. He then proceeds to use these awful, not even pickup lines. He's just hitting on her. Stephanie, change color. Uh. Attractive. Nice software. Mm. And then she covers herself up to the robot. Yep. Because she clearly likes him and doesn't want to give him all the goods beforehand. He also mentions that she's very attractive. Yeah, many times. Beautiful, attractive. It's, it's all over the place. Which is very confusing. And how does this robot know human beauty or what that is? Well, it has its own form of beauty, which just so happens to think that Ali Sheedy's very bonable. Mm-hmm. Uh, and she is. Let's 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 get that out of the way. She's very attractive. Yeah, I, I'm not going to disagree. I, I mean, she's no Molly Ringwald, but yeah, well, she's had to live in that shadow her entire life. Yeah, very true. Yeah, it's it's just weird. It gets creepier. At least to me, I mean, because then there's the the dancing scene while Saturday Night Fever plays in the background, which is creepy on multiple levels. I, I think one of the one of the creepier things about Johnny Five for me is that he has these like flaps above his eyes that are effectively <laughs> eyebrows, and he wiggles them A in lot. weird ways at Ali Sheedy. Oh yeah. Yeah, yeah, she he, he wiggles them like uh, the Joey character from Friends. Yes, yes. I actually wonder if perhaps they made the Matt LeBlanc watch Short Circuit to learn those facial expressions. I'm going to say this right now. I think I would have actually liked the show Friends if Joey was played <laughs> by the robot from Short Circuit. Yeah. <laughs> The show could have gone on the same as it was, but just have a robot be Joey. <laughs> uh, it, it, it continues to get creepier to me. I, I want to continue down this because I have, a, I have a lasting point to make about this robot. All right, let's hear so, it. So throughout, and, and even while the robot keeps on hitting on Stephanie Speck, Newton Crosby comes into the picture and he and Stephanie start to, you know, get a little bit of the sparkage between them. Uh-huh. Which is... You know, even more confusing than the sparkage between her and the robot, because this is Steve Guggenberg. <laughs> the robot is significantly better looking and more charismatic. Yep. And so, and so there's some sparkage going on there. And then it, towards the end of the movie, when Newton Crosby finally realizes that number five is alive. Mm-hmm. Well... He and uh, Stephanie Speck just start making out. Yeah, like crazy. Yeah, like they're on top of this mountain (laughs) and the sun's coming up and they are swapping spit. And number five looks over and seems totally okay with it, except he asks, oh, where's some loving for me or something like that? Yeah, yeah, he he wants to be smooched too. I hope you bought enough for everybody. Give me one too, Steph. Ooh, right on the sensor. And, and and so my question is, is number five polyamorous? Huh. 
Because he seems totally okay with Newton and Stephanie and the idea of them, you know, rocking it between the sheets. But he clearly likes Stephanie. And I think I saw him looking at the Gutenberg a little bit sideways, too. So I'm thinking maybe this is a polyamorous, uh, hypersexual robot. Yeah, I'll go with that. What does he care? He's just a robot. He doesn't even have any genitals. <laughs> so he's going to totally uh, totally please both of them at the same time. Hey, he's going to bone down on them. Oh, yeah. Yep, totally. He's, he's the third. I think that number five really wants to be number three. Life not malfunction. Not malfunction. I am alive. Science Corner! We talk about science. Sam. Yes. This is the part of the podcast where we talk about all the crazy science stuff that Short Circuit got wrong. <laughs> well, generally it would be the part where we just talk about the crazy science stuff. Uh-huh. But you are right. We're just going to talk about the things they got wrong. Because they didn't get much, if anything, right. Uh, they had cars and they drove on roads. <laughs> yep, that's it. Uh, other than that, pretty wrong. Uh, like yeah. say, how about how about the batteries question? Yeah. So uh, you know, there are things like you know electric cars that that use these like these advanced future batteries, so they can drive for hundreds of miles on single charges. Longest charge I know of is the Tesla charge. Uh, and the ridiculous Tesla Roadster gets like. Around 245 miles per charge, I think. It still is nowhere near the amount of power that it would take to power the crazy giant death laser on his deck. The crazy giant death laser wouldn't be powered by the amount of power that the Luxor uses in Las Vegas. Yeah, which, you know, we, it has to be said, has a crazy giant death laser on the top. Uh, uh, well, it has a crazy giant white light. It's not a laser, Dan. You can believe what you want. It's not a laser. I've never been to Las Vegas, but that's what I've been told. I have flown over top the Luxor, and our plane did not get cut in half. Oh, and that is not the worst of it, Dr. Marner. Don't tell me its laser is still armed. Bimbo. And, and so, yeah, Crazy Death Laser. Also, a laser with that much power would be housed in something like Fermilab. It would it would be enormous. Yeah. Like, like you cannot you cannot focus this in a little shoulder thing. And also this this dumb robot seems to hold a charge forever. This thing should have to recharge every like twenty minutes. Yeah, and it and it doesn't. And and in in actual scenarios with actual robots that are usually a lot smaller than this. They only, you know, the charges usually last maybe about an hour yeah, or less for these, like, little tiny robots to, like, move things around or, uh, or that kind of thing. And also it's alive, which means that its processor is always running because it's thinking. Sure. And, you know, even the batteries that are in these uh, uh, electric cars are gigantic and weigh a ton. <laughs> they are, like, the majority of the weight of the car. Sure, yeah. So, get your shit together, Short Circuit. <laughs> okay, uh, so... That, that should have been the name of this segment, not Science Corner. It should have been Get Your Shit Together, Short Circuit. <laughs> so, Dan, how about the comparisons? We've already done a small amount of this, but comparisons between 
number five, and actual robots. The, the, the design of the robot is actually not too far off from what a lot of robots look like these days. There tends to be a trend to make them kind of humanoid, give them, you know, make them anthropomorphic, give them some human features, which is fine, but maybe not the best way to go about it. Uh, would you say that perhaps a major tech magazine has an article about this that you can talk about? Now that you mention it, I do have a um, analog version of Wired magazine here in front of me. This is the uh, April 2011 issue. Uh, and there's an article called In Praise of Ugly Robots. And it's all about how that when we create a humanoid robot, the person controlling the robot kind of feels like the robot's its own thing and will push it to do more extreme things. And if we're talking wartime, they, you know, will become Rambo and they'll send the robot off and to do crazy stuff. Where if it's not a humanoid robot, people tend to feel like the robot's more of a tool and an extension of themselves. And they credit themselves with accomplishing the task rather than the robot doing it, which it, it can be dangerous having that humanoid robot. There was actually a study that they took people and they made them play games with different types of, of like avatars and the people who had a more humanoid avatar kind of did more crazy ass stuff. So, so what you're essentially saying is in, in the grand scheme of things, if we want ourselves to be able to accomplish things with robots, we should aim more predator drone than number five. For, for certain things. I mean, there's, there's always exceptions. Like the, uh, I think the example that was given was like the robots that, that look through rubble to try and find survivors after things like earthquakes and stuff. Because having a more humanoid-looking robot is less shocking for a survivor than seeing this kind of crazy machine thing tearing away rubble. Okay. If you had to guess what the thing, uh, what what thing, this movie got the most wrong, what would you say it is? I would say probably his eyebrows. I meant science-wise. Oh, his eyebrows. No, no, no. That that's perfectly possible. <laughs> they did them. So yeah, that that's totally possible to do. I think the the you know the thing that was, you know, okay, look, I haven't read an issue of Scientific American in a while, but it's my understanding that lightning can't grant sentience. <laughs> maybe maybe there have been some changes in the scientific community that I don't know about, and maybe that's really a thing. Well, maybe it wasn't just regular lightning. Maybe it was God lightning. Uh, which is something that was just recently found and is, is now starting to get a, uh, acceptance and God lightning can even grant sentience to rocks. Mm -hmm. but, it, but it is very rare and I doubt that this was God lightning. Okay. So yeah, the artificial intelligence. Oddly enough, I don't have too many issues with the way the artificial intelligence came about. Uh, the idea that lightning striking a robot granted artificial intelligence is obviously silly. And that there's nothing not silly about that. But the idea that this is some sort of a system 
with certain inputs that has behaved in a certain way and is now being granted a new input that is somehow causing it to behave in a different way actually makes mathematical sense to me. If you will remember another Jeff Goldblum movie, Jurassic Park, uh-huh. you hear about something called chaos theory. And while Ian Malcolm in that movie does an awful job of explaining it, chaos theory is something that a lot of people do believe has something to do with the emergence of intelligence. It's all about the water drops on the hand. Right? Uh, yeah, it, it, it's sensitivity to initial conditions. And so this is adding another input, which changes the initial conditions, which technically, given everything else being set up exactly correctly, you could end up with artificial intelligence. Now, of course, there are a couple problems with this. One, being convinced that Steve Gutenberg's character could ever have set up the other, other initial conditions. And two, believing that those other initial conditions could have ever possibly have existed. And so the way it the way it emerges isn't the problem for me. It's the fact that they want us to believe that there is a system already set up with everything that we need in order to get that emergence. Now, uh, the other thing that, that it deals with a lot in this movie is the idea of machine learning, right? I mean, sure. it, that's the, the whole thing. Number five just wants input, 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 input. It wants to learn everything that it possibly can. Fish, salmon, sushi. The whole idea of that is machine learning. Uh, it's it's just pulling putting pulling in all possible knowledge that is available, turning into a digital format and storing it. Mm-hmm. Now that this uh, in our notes for this, you actually noted down Watson. Sure. And uh, this is similar to what the IBM engineers did with Watson, with one key exception. Uh, they made Watson talk like an actual human being. Uh, no. Watson has a bunch of programs that allows it to make inferences between, or to data mine all of this and pull inferences and then make probabilistic judgments from all the data that it has. Uh-huh. Number five instead is very anthropomorphic in the way it learns in that it just seems to be able to pull all this data in and immediately make 100% correct inferences just by thinking instead of by using a very heavy-duty algorithm. Well, I don't know if you, uh, if you heard, but uh, number five is alive. Number five is alive. And this has been what Short Circuit got fucking wrong. <laughs> I think I may have changed the name, but it's the same idea. I am standing here beside myself. Let's talk Skynet. Okay. Oh, yeah. Skynet. I completely forgot about Skynet. Yeah. I mean, that's my real fear. And I think, you know, let's make let's make a short circuit a little bit more realistic. Realistic is in air quotes so hard right now. In the sense that if, you know, one of these crazy military robots was given life by God Lightning it would probably start killing everybody. See, I do not I do not personally agree with that. Well, if its initial programming was let's shoot things with a death laser. Also, why is it called a death laser? <laughs> <laughs> Which is something I just made up. But like you would think that it would stick closer to its initial programming even though it's alive. Quote unquote alive. See, I I would feel that if some sort of 
machine achieve some sort of self-awareness and some sort of intelligence that it would uh, that it would not necessarily follow its initial programming because it would be so far away from its programming at that point that it would not have the need to follow it. Yeah, but we don't have... The, the, well, the, the robot doesn't have any, at that point, didn't have any additional input. It have any additional knowledge beyond what it had when it gained life. Yeah, but when we, when we create things like robots, we usually put in so many fail-safes to stop, or to, to make it so that so many people have to approve the use of its weapon that it's it's not like something that's actually initially i mean say the predator drone the predator drone's main programming is just to fly places right. it's a protected area of the programming that allows it to bomb the shit out of places yeah but what if it became alive and was like hey what's this protected area Ooh, i can get into it now because i'm super intelligent oh that's cool it's a missile <laughs> let me shoot it out of thing <laughs> Okay, maybe. Uh, but I think it'd be very childlike. Just like that, like, ooh, what is this? What does that do? And what would a child do with a giant red button connected to a nuke? Oh. It would press it. Oh, yes, of course it's curious. it would. But then it might learn later on. But then again, we're still... I don't know if it's possible to predict anything like this because we can't think like machines would think if they were have intelligent. Have you seen the Terminator? Yes, I have. I have also seen Terminator 2, Terminator 3, and the Sarah Connor Chronicles television show. Did not watch Terminator 4. Oh, well, see, that's the big glaring hole in your knowledge. I know it's not. <laughs> I have watched a lot of Doctor Who, and K9 seems like a pretty awesome robot. K9 is also a box with a light on its head. <laughs> yeah, but it would totally kick Terminator's ass. That thing can keep a black hole from collapsing. I don't know. I think we're at an impasse here. <laughs> K9 versus Terminator. Send in your emails, Sam and Dan at acmescience.com <laughs> no one's gonna accept this <laughs> I kind of hope that they do really I, I would love to I would love to hear an answer to that Crosby we're going to have to ask you to surrender the robot stat stat what does that mean anyway I don't know so Dan yes sir uh, is there really that much else to talk about with short circuit well, we could bring up that there was a short circuit, too. Yes, there was. And let me tell you something. I watched Short Circuit 2 not too long ago. Well, it's, it's a good thing you did, because I flat out refused. Uh, and I wish I would have been smarter. Uh -huh. Now, Short Circuit 1 is a bad movie that is entertaining. Somewhat, yes. Short Circuit 2 is a flat out awful movie it does not it does not have ali sheedy it does not have steve gutenberg that's kind of a lie ali sheedy is in it no her voice is in it for two seconds it counts and she's uncredited <laughs> so there okay fine uh now what is the general plot of this movie so it turns out that Ben Jabitia, whatever that guy's name is. 
uh-huh. has moved to New York to sell toy copies of Johnny Five on the street. I think I think it should be said that the poster for Short Circuit Two is him and Johnny Five's head popping out of a manhole. <laughs> Uh, and it's kind of ridiculous and funny just that that's probably the best part of that movie okay and so now remember he was born in bakersfield he is trying really hard to get american citizenship in this movie (laughs) all right that is a huge subplot is him prepping for his citizenship test because this makes sense. And so he, he's outside of this toy store and this character played by Mike or by uh, Michael McKean, who's uh, the character's name is Fred Ritter. You might know Michael McKean from things such as Clue, Planes, Trains and Automobiles. And this is Spinal Tap. Laverne and Shirley. Uh, also, Sesame Street. <laughs> he played Virgil von Vivaldi in a 2010 episode. Coneheads. Uh, so, I mean, a well-known comedic character actor, Michael McKean. And so, so this is all uh, going on, and and they're outside, and this uh, this person who works at this department store, who's who's trying to find some toys. Uh, one of the robots just randomly goes in and she finds it. And so she wants to buy a bunch. Uh, she wants to buy a minimum of like 1,000 or 10,000 or, or something like that. It really doesn't matter. And uh, Ben, oh, also his name appears to be different in the second movie. <laughs> All right. Uh, his name in the second movie is Ben Jarvie. I'm noticing on the IMDb page right now. Uh, and and so all kinds of things happen. Someone, uh, these people are trying to rob a bank that's across the street from where they decide to start building these things. And these uh, and they're trying to build a secret tunnel underneath where they where uh, Ben and Fred have have started building. And Johnny Five is sent there by Stephanie and Newton to help Ben build things. Except they're supposed to keep them out of the city even though, or not even supposed to let him know he's in a city because he would go crazy with the input, which he does. He joins uh, Johnny Five. Oh, oh, by the way, we didn't mention this. Number five names himself at the end of Short Circuit 1. Number five, stupid name. Want to be Kevin or Dave. Just watch the road, okay? Maybe Johnny. Yeah, Johnny Five. Yeah, like very end, like closing minutes. Uh, he, he decides to pick the name Johnny. Yep, Johnny Five, which is actually a super awesome name. Sure. I, I kind of dig it myself. I, maybe, I, maybe I'll rename myself to Sammy Seven. I like that he keeps the number designation. Uh, it's his last name. Apparently. <laughs> <Where are> <laughs> uh, <laughs> and, and so all this going, he, and Johnny Five joins a street gang. He hang glides through New York. Uh-huh. Uh, he plays a crane game with an actual crane. Uh-huh. Uh, and he ends up uh, saving the day. And at the very end of the movie, at the end of this awful, awful, awful movie, uh, 
he also takes the citizen test with Ben and becomes the first robot citizen of the United States of America. Sure, because of course. Because, yes. And, and that's it. I really do not want to talk anymore about Short Circuit 2. Don't watch it. What are you talking about? Cisco and Ebert gave it two thumbs up, and they said it was even better than the original. Uh, we already talked about what Ebert thought of the first one. That's true. There was, there was a lot of room for improvement. Yeah, yeah. And they did not improve for this for this second one. Uh, and I have to hope that the short circuit remake, which is currently apparently being planned or shot or something, is going to be better than the original. We can only hope. But... I don't know. Would you say that maybe there's already been a remake of Short Circuit? Yeah, there has. It was called Wally. And that was an awesome movie, right? It was great. Our last thought on these movies, I think, is going to be do not watch Short Circuit, but go watch or rewatch Wally right now. Yes. Okay, so so we're agreed on that. That's our official our official uh, Sam and Dan and verdict. Just watch Wally instead. <laughs> yep. I'm down. Okay. Well, that's, that's very good. And I, I want to thank all of you uh, for listening to this, our second episode of Sam and Dan and. And also I want to thank everyone who downloaded the first one. Uh, we got a lot more downloads than we thought we were going to. And I hope that you tell all of your friends how thoroughly enjoyable it is to listen to two people who have uh, no right to be criticizing films, criticizing films. Yeah. Yeah, oh yeah, we have no credentials. No, none at all. I'm a mathematician. <laughs> yep, I, I just have a degree in business. Yeah, uh, he's, a, he's a businessman. I'm a very important businessman. Uh, and, and so I want to thank you very much. And we also would love uh, if you would head on over to iTunes uh, and leave us a review because that means that when people type in things that have to do with this podcast they might be more likely to see ours higher up and because you're listening and you like this you probably want more people to also like it so you can start a like a twitter meme or something about us and have more people to talk about on the internet and make friends with because you know that's how i met dan and everything yeah it certainly legitimizes our dumb thing yeah and and we would love for you to legitimize and if you have any feedback you want to say anything you can send us an email uh sam and dan at acmescience.com and uh, where can they visit to see a awesome blog post about this, Dan? Um, AcmeScience.com. Yes, that is, that is very right, where you can also find out about all the other Acme Science shows. And also head on over to the thereyouarepodcast.tumblr.com or thereyouarepodcast.com. Thereyouarepodcast.com. There it or, is. Uh, yeah, the podcast I do with my friend Alex. Uh, which is uh, a pretty good podcast. Oh, thanks. At least I enjoy it. Hey, that's enough for me. Or there you are, podcast.tumblr.com also gets you to the website. Yeah, it should. I, uh, you know, I, I, I wanted, I wanted to, to let you know that. Oh, also, uh, I'm, I'm looking at this podcast, and you have some uh, reviews on the side here. Uh, yeah. I noticed that I am not on there. I, I believe you spent your entire review <laughs> talking about how I'm trying to steal your identity. Okay, fair enough. So, uh, yeah, listen, listen to all of our other podcasts. Listen to this. Tell your friends. Leave us an iTunes review. Send us an email for feedback. And uh, watch out for uh, next month's podcast where we're going to be talking about what? Oh, shit. I don't know. 
Okay. Well, we're going to be talking about something next month. And you'll find out uh, when we release the podcast. Stupid. Stupid. Foolish. Gullible. Doltish. Dumbbell. Lame brain. Shut up. Silence. Hush. Sit on it.